Hello, friends, and welcome back to Can You Afford to Ignore Me, the podcast featuring the works of Elizabeth Rodriguez Dennehy. I'm Shannon Gregg, and I'm so pleased that you are joining us for the second installment of the Working Parents series. Last time we covered mommy guilt, and in this podcast episode, we're discussing the perception of working parents and how people view parents in careers in the workplace. If you are deciding to become a parent or already a parent, what does research say about people who are parents at work? What are the perceptions of people who have to take off early to take their kids places or come in late when there are snow days? We cover all of this and more. I hope you really enjoyed today's episode. And if you are loving the coaching from Elizabeth, please check out her corporate success formula. It's a great way for you to be coached by Elizabeth on your own time, in your own space, using the power of technology. Visit www.shannongregg.com slash success. That's shannongregg.com slash success. Enjoy the conversation. We are talking for the second week in a row. This is an eight-week part series where we are talking about parents in the workplace. So last week we talked about mommy guilt, which is a great topic that Elizabeth and I have spoken about in so many ways, so many times, and we are not here to be politically correct with you all. Everybody that's joining today, we are here to talk in a way that is direct and in the manner that you need to hear it at the time you need to hear it. No one's talking about this at work. I've never had a boss who's addressed this. I've never really seen an HR policy that didn't dance around the topic. But today, we are going to be talking about parents in the workplace. Elizabeth, I am so happy you're joining us for the second week in this eight-week series. Well, we are, we're really enjoying this process, aren't we? We it's are. Been, it's been a lot of fun. People are really taking on our conversation. And today, I was uh, sharing with Shannon before we start today that today is going to sound a little bit painful. And here's why we need to talk about the whole idea of parenting in the workplace before we start to address the, the different, we call categories of parenting from a single mom to a, a mother, uh, a woman with more than one child, all the different vignettes that show up at work. We can't make progress and we can relearn or reframe behavior if we don't understand what's going on. And a lot of what we're going to talk about today might sound painful, depressing, unfair. The reason why we feel we have to bring this up to you now is because Shannon and I have discussed intensely the fact that, like she said, nobody's really helping you understand what's really happening when you walk into the room to either discuss something or maybe not at all, but around your aura, what's walking with you into that meeting. And so today we're going to talk about overall the perception of women and their career. We're going to talk about how women are, are feeling. This is research we found regarding parenting in the workforce. We're going to talk about how is it that it manifests in 
different parts of the work environment, an example that we have from academia. And then we're going to talk about some of the other issues related with parenting in the workforce. So for now, here's what I want to start. I want to start with reminding you, this mommy guilt comes from us feeling a sense of being perfect. It also comes from a very important place, a cultural and social context that assumes that women are the caretakers. And that role was fine 40, 50 years ago, uh, depending on, on where you see your personal evolution and our evolution in the workforce. So that worked then. It's not working now. But we're trying to transfer that formula, that model to 2018. And there lies the problem. We have to start to say to ourselves, a lot of people that I interact with have in the back of their mind, those are called heuristics. So sort of images, psychological images of who I am or who I should be. And if I'm a woman and the man is in front of me, he brings the image of his mother, his sister, the women who were around him. Does that make sense to you before we keep on going, Shannon? It makes perfect sense. And it's such a big part of this conversation because while we all feel that we're individuals and we all feel we're individuals at work and in the workplace, People do bring their unconscious or maybe even conscious biases to the conversation and to our relationships with them at work. Absolutely. And so here's how it manifests itself. I'm going to go through a list that's pretty much helps understand the, the status quo right now. Women overall are given less demanding assignments and positions and promotion. Again, there is, and let me give you the underpinning, because she's going to have this commitment in future tense, eventually when she gets pregnant or married, or because she is unmarried and is pregnant, going to have a baby. All these assumptions make people, and here's the problem, women in HR, senior women at work think the same way. So we women, women of power, women that can promote other women, unfortunately, also inadvertently going to that place. So we give women less promotions, less demanding work, less pay, the, the probability for the professional to plateau is higher because you don't show your attributes in any different way. You're pretty much held back. It's like running the horse and having the reins and just holding the reins back. And the horse just wants to go and it's being pulled back all the time. Women, therefore, feel less, less engagement and less committed because they're saying to themselves, after all the sacrifices I'm making and after running around to get all this done, I come here to work and I don't feel people are supporting me. Have you gone through any of that experiences yourself, Shannon, at work? No doubt. And not only have I, as a manager, I've seen it happen to many people that I work with as well. And people bring their, their thoughts and their their ideas to these circumstances and say, oh, she'll never want to move. She, she won't take that promotion. She doesn't want to leave the city. Mm -hmm. and, and I often like to say, is that what she said when you asked her? Um, <laughs> and it's hard for us because sometimes these conversations are happening around us. They're happening behind our backs. Yes. And it's hard for us to know when we should be proactive and say, hey, give me that stretch assignment or hey, consider me for an opening that I don't even know exists yet in a totally different city, just in case we buy another company. And I exactly. think that's one of our challenges. You know, and, and we're going to get into the details of what Shannon just brought up, which is how do I manage through? But that's exactly how it manifests. Fortunately, for some of the people and women 
women uh, that work around Shannon, Shannon asks the question. She's smart enough to know. But most of the time, we find sort of a huge gap between what is supposed to be done and what actually happened. Here's part of the reason or rationale for this work. As I was talking with more and more women, and Shannon was going through the same thing, we realized that the individual person is feeling conflict, is feeling like it's a zero-sum game. Like, I really have to make a choice between being a mother and a professional because look how I'm being treated. There's a sense of loneliness. Companies are not doing a good job at managing the process of re-entry after uh, childbirth. I've had personal experiences with women with postpartum blues and their chemical disbalances that are very severe. And it's very hard for women to re-enter when they're physically compromised for a period of time. Very difficult. Um, there's a sense of lack of inner voice. So confidence, which is an issue that we just bring from childbirth in a way, in many of us, is even more affected because we're saying, what more can I do? Yeah. And we're saying it with exhaustion because we're working long hours at work, at home, and we don't feel like we're getting traction. Um, have you seen any of that at work, Janet? I've definitely seen that. And I think there are other um, smaller signals that are being sent to women who are returning to the workplace. I worked with a woman one time when she was coming back from maternity leave. We had nowhere for her to pump. And it was suggested to her, just block out a conference room at the time you think you're going to need it. And this particular mm -hmm. conference room had blinds that couldn't shut all of the way. And I thought to myself, you know, it's not just about the tactical needs that she has right now as a mother who needs to, to pump, but it's also the message we're sending her, which is you're an ancillary part of this company. And so we're not that concerned about your problem. Absolutely. I, I heard a story it was a beautiful story it's a multinational company the this woman had just returned from work and she was pumping and her, her peer is a, a, a man from India and uh, he invited her to lunch and she said I'll be right there as soon as I finish pumping and his eyes went out of it and he was thinking what is that and obviously the cultural cat was huge right so in his world none of that is discussed and and so she had to explain to him the process and and it was a, an awkward moment for both to their credit they went to lunch after that and this is a beautiful part of the story and this is how things get undone relearned he would call her and said when you're feeling finished pumping call me for us to have lunch and he said to her as a consequence of the conversations you and i have had around the, your baby and breastfeeding i am now more aware of what my wife is going through hmm. Those are the beautiful stories that can happen at work. And so anyway, so, but that's happening, right? So what we're trying to figure out here is how is it that I'm going to overcome this perception? Another part of this is perceptions around your status in companies overall, and I've seen this from law firms to public companies, even startup. If you're single, you might get more work because you have more time. If you're engaged, you are getting married. So we were thinking of you as a potential for a transfer or a great assignment, but now we think we might have to either wait or just because you're engaged or think of somebody else. If you're a mother, the assumptions are that you might not want more, that you want to have an easier type of job, that you want less of a challenge, that you want something that's going to be cruise control-ish so mm -hmm. that you don't have to feel torn between being 
being a mother and being a professional. Have you seen any of that at Shannon at work? I've seen plenty of that. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think we could talk about this over wine because we've all seen this. We've all seen this and you know it's happening. It's an invisible force. And I think it's so important for us to have this conversation so we can help women understand how to mitigate that challenge. And men. So one of the things we want to make sure we help everybody out with these conversations is to create an awareness that here's part of the dilemma. Men come with preconceived notions. Women are, in a way, breaking some mold. And so that how do we help also men in our environment, like this woman did with, with this Indian colleague, sort of start to have the, the healthy dialogue to help both coexist in a more effective way. Unfortunately, Stanford did a lot of has done a lot of research on biases and a couple of things have come up consistently mothers and i'm saying this for you to be cautious is this something that's manageable because i deal with women all the time and they're doing quite fine and that they're being very successful but here's part of what they know that they're viewed to be less competent men and women both are more likely to hire a man over a woman with equal qualification and again that's why it's so important for us to be network and people to know us because when that happens all that means is there is a void between what people know of me and people don't and then the assumption if you're a mom or you're about to get married or you're about to have your baby you're not going to be in that short list this is these are the 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 sounds that are rattling around the corporate and the workforce that we want you to be aware i don't want you to get depressed after we're done with this module i want you to start to say to yourself what elizabeth and shannon are telling me seem to be really quite extreme, impactful. Let me observe. So during the week, observe and see ask questions and see how people respond to you. Do you think that makes sense, Shannon? I think it makes perfect sense. And um, I've read some of the studies you're talking about where people are presented with resumes for men and women. It's the same exact resume, just with a masculine sounding name and a feminine sounding name. And it takes it all the way back to when you have a child deciding on a name for that child and how you're really kind of naming a product and and that name is going to have an effect on your child for the rest of their lives. And as a hiring manager, one of the things I've always done specifically because I'm in sales and you know that's that's really a man's game is to say whenever I'm hiring somebody I really want to see resumes I want you to phone screen a cross section there needs to be some cross sectionality of men women people of color. I want to see, I want you to work hard, recruiter. And that's one of the things that's that we can do in terms of advocacy work is push back on the people we're working with and say, did you try to find people that aren't just white men? Right. And, and you know, one of the things that a lot that's working for many companies, not everyone is doing it, is doing blind resumes. So they, they take the names off. And that's one way but more to come in the next sessions. For today, what we want to make sure is we give you contextually a good idea of what's going on. We want to make sure that we also understand that even though it's illegal to be held back in terms of the, because of, you know, our rights at work, it's happening. And even here in the U.S., the degree or the number of, of discrimination suits have, has, have risen from 2010 to 2015. There were over 31,000 pregnancy discrimination charges filed. And we get upset. But, and as we were preparing this, we we're saying, again, we don't want to create a sense that with gloom and doom and we don't have any options. What we want to make sure is we're telling 
you there is a cultural reality that walks into the room that has the propensity to frame you women in such a way that could put you in a position of less than desirable outcomes. And what we want to make sure we do is we alert men and decision makers, women of power, to say, am I doing that? And for the women walking into the room, how am I going to address the reality of this perception of how people think, I'm, where they think I'm coming from? They're even taking away my desires and my dreams. I want to be the CEO of this company and I know I can do it. It's just like for now, this is what's happening in my life. But again, women are not pregnant all of their lives. It's for a particular period of time. And that said, um, we have to be alert because the most important thing that's happening right now to add injury to pain is that the inflow of potential candidates from educational institutions at all levels, undergrad and grad degrees, the, the degree that percentage are women. It's a worldwide trend. I jotted down the trends in my book and sure enough, it's happening. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that every headcount counts and we need to keep great talent on board and to be a little bit flexible it's nothing compared to the capacity of that person to give me the best she brings to work. Does that make sense to you, Shannon? That makes perfect sense to me. And, and I think it's important, again, for us to con continue to consider our own subconscious biases so that we can challenge them. And, you know, I invite everybody, men and women, to think that way. And I think one of the things that, that you and I talk about a lot, and it's great to have you discussing this because you do a combination of individual executive coaching and also working with corporations as a consultant. So you see both angles of it. You see what we're living. But it's so important for us to understand how and why to challenge those, those things that are happening to us. And so here's two things that I tell my clients and my groups when we're dealing with unconscious bias. How do we manage through? So one of the things we do, because it helps reframe, so unconscious bias is based on a constant stimuli of, I, I looking at a scenario and saying to myself, women caretakers, women caretakers, women caretakers, right? So what, what do we do with that connection, with that neurological knowing next what that capacity of the brain to associate immediately women caretake one of the things we can do is become more observant of the moment one of the things that are very helpful is to spend time with people who are in the category that i'm having a harder time connecting with in the category of decision makers reaching out to speak have lunch coffee tea with women peers co-workers the example that I use with the Indian man and the woman. If you listen to the story, what happened is they went from a mind frame, both, to a different frame. And in the different frame, everybody won. So one is I want to push the envelope and start to reach out to people who are different from me and learn more from them. What happens to the brain is it starts to reconnect. The brain is malleable. And so the beauty of this is it's proven. The more, here's the proof, there's the science. The more I, I learn about the person who's different from me, the less heuristics I have. 
and it gets to a point in which the capacity for me to connect is very high. And I feel really comfortable sort of speaking on behalf of women, by my men, to say, she's coming back. I, I know her. She likes her job. Let's accommodate for her. Because the brain that comes through that door is, is a phenomenal brain. And that personality is wonderful for our culture. We don't want to let her go because I've known her more. The other thing that I also, it's very useful, is to put your flashlight on yourself. Am I really allowing myself to make the quick decision, get out of the way, employ the person, get that headcount going, or am I really doing the best job by really challenging this moment of a quick, again, decision and saying to myself, pause, think it again. Now, Shannon, what are your thoughts about this? I think it's such a great reminder, one, to connect with people on a personal level, even if you're at work and lunch, coffee, that's a great way to do it because you're stepping outside of the confines of your four walls. So you get to go somewhere different, be stimulated differently and have a more frank conversation. And it reminds me of one of my favorite sayings, which I know you know, I say all the time, which is you're at no if you don't ask. So if I ask somebody for something, if I can gather the courage and ask them and they say no, I was at no if I didn't ask. So asking somebody out to lunch or to coffee or just to take one of those walking meetings with you, which are so great for the brain. It's such a good way to connect with somebody differently that will allow you to expose each other to your mindsets. And I think when we're looking at, and I love your point about resetting the way that your brain is wired, when we're looking at our mindsets, it's important to make sure that we don't settle back into the opposite of the growth mindset because we come back and think, well, I'm a mother now. I don't know what's happening in my life, but I can guarantee, you know, people at my work aren't going to take me as seriously. And, and that's exactly, actually, as we round up and, and set up for next week, but we want to make sure you don't allow things to go. That, that knowing now, and I'm not sure we said anything new to you, but what we are doing in terms of today is saying this is really what's happening. This is the reality. There is contextually a perception that is biased. And that's what we're going to tackle for the rest of this series. How do we take on each one of these categories and help you understand what is the perception and how do I manage through? For everyone, there is an option. And so when we're done, there is going to be this sense of control and empowerment because the worst thing in the world is not knowing. The most powerful thing in the world is knowledge. Because then I know exactly where I'm going. Does that make sense? I think that makes perfect sense. And I think it's a good time. I got a couple of questions that are coming in from people who are watching. So first one says, I'm not a working parent, but I manage several of them. How can I make sure that I am doing the right thing as a manager of a working parent? Well, the, again, part of the most important thing, piece of paper and pencil. One of the things you want to do, number one, is make sure that when you have working parents, men or women, that you are aware that you might make assumption. Maybe she doesn't want the assignment. Maybe if he he is a single parent, maybe he doesn't have time. Ask them first. This is what's going on. Are you okay with taking this? Is there any way we can get you involved and work with your schedule? So one of the most important things, number one, is do not assume, ask, and ask in a way that's proactive. This is what's going on. We want you to be part of 
this team, how can we make it work? Number two, sometimes you will get conversations going, particularly meetings, in which you will see the, particularly the woman, whether she's pregnant, even single, in that place of being quiet, not talkative, for many reasons, including the fact that she's not feeling like the group is taking her in, as we've seen, seriously. You be the person to always make sure that her participation is part of the exchange in the meeting. So be proactive in eliciting conversations with with her. Parents really need, as far as we've seen, two things. Wiggle room is not exception to the rule. It's flexibility. And number two, understanding that, again, they're operating under a limited period of time. If you, as a manager, look at your talent long-term, continue to dwell on the things that they do positively, whatever comes your way in terms of challenge as a manager, you will be able to discuss it quite well with your person. Does, does that make sense? I think that makes perfect sense. I think that's... Did we answer your question? I think so. It looks like it's good advice. We have one other question, and this is a very interesting one, and we'll probably touch on this a little bit more when our topic is married professionals, but it is, how can I have a civil conversation with my husband to let him know my job is just as demanding as his, and I'm not the only one who needs to think about covering snow days? (laughs) Well... That is a very personal question in a way. Let me give you an example of how I dealt with it. When my husband and I uh, married, we had to, again, juggle both jobs. And what we would do would be on Sundays, we would have a conversation. It's like a business meeting and Shannon does the same thing, in which we just discuss what are we going to do as a couple. I think to address it as that could be a very helpful way to help him see, you know, the in and outs of your world. Once in a while, I would have to change my schedule because my husband needed me to do that and vice versa. I think the discussion that is important for you to have with your husband is what are the two of you together looking and working towards? What is your end game as a couple? Where do you want to be five years from now, 10 years from now? And if you look at this as a collaborative effort and it, for you, if, if you keep a little bit of that, perhaps you feel a little bit angry or uncomfortable that you're the one who keeps has to always juggle and say it you know this feels like I'm on the short end of the process but let's have a conversation because at the end of the day you and I love each other you and I have a family and at the end of the day again I ask you the two of you are working towards a common goal and if that is true I can assure you you will find the mechanism to have a conversation I my husband at the beginning uh, it was hard for him to sort of get it but very quickly it just started to morph a change um shannon do you have any other ideas for her i think it's a really good question and and it harkens back to the research that you and i both read that said once you have a baby there are an additional 33.5 hours of work added into your week and so it's like taking on a very robust part-time job nearly another full-time job and if you have a full-time job you, you can't do it alone and it sounds unsexy and it doesn't sound glamorous and 
And when you first get married, so many things are about love, but really a relationship is a business partnership. And you have to do just that. Say, this is when we have our business meetings. And if you're the CFO of our household and you pay the bills and I'm the COO of our household and I make sure that the laundry gets done and the groceries are purchased, that's okay. It's okay to treat it that way because otherwise you have unspoken assumptions and those can be really damaging. And when you're a working parent and you're trying to do it all and we keep going back to that whole problem we have as women, as carers, which is, you know, I want to parent like I don't have a job and I want to work like I don't have a child. You need to be able to work lockstep with that person who is helping you out, whether that's your partner, your spouse, your next door neighbor, whoever it is that's helping you through that. Mm -hmm. You have to be very clear about who's in charge of what and how you'll handle situations before they occur and your emotions are running too high to think logically. And one thing I just want to point out to you, you have to look at the relationship that he had with his mother in terms of what is the role that he perceived her, his mother had in the household. And most likely it was a traditional household, I'm assuming. And so that is a conversation to have in a way that's civil and, and you can use this material and say to him, you know, I can understand why you would assume it's my role because that's how your mother dealt with all of you. And this is an assumption I'm making. If that's the case, let's have a conversation about how we view parenting. And we're going to talk more about that and how is it that you and I can craft a different model. And I hope with that, you can help create a dialogue that will be useful. That's perfect. That is all the questions that we got live, but I do want to remind everybody, we're going to be at this for another six weeks and each topic is a little bit different. So next week, we're going to be talking about single professionals who are not yet parents or who are not parents or ever going to be parents at all. I'm talking about if not wanting kids is selfish or anti-female or too ambitious, this should be a really good one. I know, Elizabeth, you've worked with a lot of people who are in this situation. So I'm really looking forward to this topic. This is going to be interesting. And for the manager in the audience, there are many exercises that you can also do with your team that can help elicit really that sense of collaboration, team building. And the reason why I'm bringing this also, I just uh, remembered how powerful it can be. It helps sort of demystify certain roles. Like after all, you know, Jane is really good at this and we can see that in terms of our team experience and this experience of, of just feeling a sense of togetherness. And so we all coalesce behind Jane whenever Jane needs to have some accommodation, right? But, but your role is one of being a good observer and alert to the potential of this heuristics falling into or creeping into your Monday morning meeting. And I think with that, we leave you. We are so delighted that you've been joining us throughout these weeks, and we look forward to having you uh, join us as we move forward. Have a great week, and for the rest of us um, and for you, let's be alert. Let's keep an eye on our behavior, and I can assure you your professional life is just going to be so much easier. See you soon. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. You are a joy pleasure. and a treasure. Women everywhere, on behalf of women everywhere, I thank you. Back at you. you. Back at you. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>